Well, good morning. Uh, I'm Dan Earhart, as Ross said, and if you have been here when I have preached before, then you know sometimes I tend to go a little long. I don't think that's going to be an issue this morning. Uh, You'll be happy to hear. Anybody here crazy busy? I'm a very, 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 very busy person. And so when Ross asked would I be available to preach this weekend, I said no. No, I've got way too much going on. Well, little did I know, I had more going on than what I had told him was going on, uh, including a very important conversation I had with somebody near and dear to me yesterday that left me in a state where I needed to really, really think and pray more about something else than about a sermon. Well, also, if you are close to me, then you might, just, you might uh, be someone who I regularly reach out to before I preach, Typically, it starts around the Thursday before I preach, and I say, hey, I'm preaching this weekend, and I need a sermon, and I don't have one. Roxanne's laughing because her husband, Ron, is a regular recipient of that text from me, and some of those folks get those texts even late into the evening on a Saturday night, because typically when you're going to preach, having a sermon comes in handy. And on Thursday night, after our men's Bible study, I said to one of my buddies and one of the elders, Scott Holtz, I said, hey, Scott, pray for me. You know, I'm preaching this weekend. I don't have a sermon. He goes, oh, you always say that. And by God's grace, God gives me a message each time. Now, we can have a conversation around whether it's a good one or a bad one. I get that. But he gives a word each time. And this time he didn't. He didn't. And so instead of staying up crazy late last night, I went to bed at 9 o'clock in the evening. I was so physically exhausted and mentally taxed after this long conversation I had that it was, I I just, I said, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to ask, if you're sitting in the back, like if you want to come a little bit closer, because we're not going to have a sermon this morning. I figured out what it was going to be this morning when I was in the shower. We're going to have a dialogue What's a dialogue, Doug? How many people does it involve? One or more than one? At least two, thank you. (laughs) Doug's awesome at math. So um, it involves at least two. And so I'd invite you to come close because I want this to be intimate. I want us to get to see, we're going to be in John chapter 9, I want us to get to see how awesome the Lord Jesus Christ is. I've been walking with Jesus now for nearly 20 years, and this week, though he has not given me a message to preach, he has given me a deeper intimacy in my walk with him, and I'm so grateful for it. And it's because of this small chapter. And so we're going to start, and I don't see anybody moving, so if you want to stand away, that's fine. I have breath mints, um, but, but I, again, I invite you to come close so you can get to know God, all right? We're going to pray, and then we're going to open up the Word of God to John chapter 9. Pray with me, please. Almighty God, I am trusting you, Lord. You said that you would speak. I need only open my mouth. But God, I open my heart to you now. And on behalf of these people, I say we open our hearts to you and our minds 
And we ask you, Lord, that you would give us hearts that understand, ears that hear, and eyes that see. Help us to encounter Jesus all over again. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, John chapter 9. If you can stand, I'm going to invite you to do that, and we're going to read through the entire chapter. If you have a Bible, I ask you to open it. I'm old-fashioned. I still carry one of these, but that's because I mark it up like crazy. Uh, The words also will be on the screen. These are the words of God from John chapter 9. As he, and that's a reference to Jesus, as he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth, And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And I want to just pause for a second right there. I mean, I want you to put yourself in this moment as we're reading this. You are walking with Jesus. You have just heard Jesus say that he is the great I am. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, at the end of John chapter 8, Jesus says to to, uh, these accusers of him that he has been living for a very long time and that he is the great I am. Roughly translated, that is the Old Testament name of God. When, when, do you remember when Moses encounters God? And Moses says, who will I say sent me? And God says, I am. You tell them I am sent me. And so Jesus just makes this mind-blowing statement that he is the great I am. And now he's walking down a path and he sees this blind man. And his disciples Well, they ask this question. And just imagine that you're there listening to Jesus who has just said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, no, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. And I want you to be watching as we're reading the scriptures. You're going to hear the word no, K-N-O-W, a lot. A lot of people think they know a lot. A lot of people in this don't think they know anything. There is one thing the blind man knows for sure. We're going to get to that in a minute. They brought to the Pharisees, this is verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been born blind. Now it was a Sabbath day sorry, formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day, and I want you to be asking yourself, why is that important? It's critically important. Jesus gets in people's faces. None of this, I'm the, I'm the weak, soft Savior. Don't buy that. That's not what the scriptures teach. That's not what Jesus did. That's not who he is. That's not who he was. 
They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. For he does, this is a reference to Jesus. For he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews, and, and here where you see the word Jews, it's a Greek term. It's really, it's not, this is not like a religious slander term. Although I can imagine if I were Jewish or had of Jewish descent, I, I would take offense, I think, at that term. But that's not what the Bible intends here at all. It's like saying Christians, in a sense. But it's a particular group of these Jewish people with some of their leaders. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind <laughs> and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man. Again, you're watching all this. Imagine. And if you can't imagine that you're there, imagine you're watching it on TV. Until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we, we know, <laughs> there's another, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess, confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know, aha, uh -huh, there it is again. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know, there it is again, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never. Since the world began, has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind? If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. And would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, he meaning the blind man answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? 
Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. All right, since I don't have a sermon, we're just gonna go through this line by line. How's that sound? We're gonna do it pretty fast, I think, Dave. You all right with that? Cool. Chapter nine, verse one, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And what do his disciples say? This is, remember the dialogue piece? This is where you guys respond. What do the disciples say? Kendra, what do they say? Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What's behind that? What's happening here? What's that? A cult? (laughs) Who said fault? Thank you. Thank you, Cameron. Who's at fault? Who's at fault? And I used a special emphasis when I read it just a few minutes ago when I said that the, that the leaders of the Jews said, you were born in utter sin. They're doing the same thing. Do you hear it? What are they saying? They're looking upon the misfortune of another and they're reaching the conclusion that that was because someone had done wrong. Do you hear that? By the way, there's some biblical justification for that view in the Old Testament. So I can't condemn these guys too much. Too much. But what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say? Because Jesus doesn't say, well, no, it's totally random. I, I don't have any idea why the guy's blind. It's a shame, isn't it? Why don't we see if we can help him? We'll raise some money or I'll spit in some mud. Like, is that what he says? No, listen to what he says. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. God is in the business of making billboards. Do you get that? You see, when God saves a man or a woman, he does not do that to clean them up, brush them off, and let them go about their private lives. That is not what God does. God takes this man who has been blind from birth, and we don't know how old he is, but he's of age that he can testify on his own, so say his parents. And God says, I have chosen you in whom to do this mighty work so that all will know my power. Let me ask you, have you done this? Have you looked at somebody else and thought they deserved it? Or have you looked in the mirror and said, I deserved it? What if, what if that thing that is really bad in you in your life, in your family, in your career, in your health, in your country, in your world. What if that's the thing where we say it's totally wheels off and there's no hope? What if that's the thing that God wants, in which God wants to display his power? Do you catch that? Do you catch that? That thing about you that you want no one else to know, what if that is the thing God wants to heal to make you a billboard for him? One of my closest friends in the world, Gilbert Howard, one of the guys I texted last night to say, Gilbert, I got no sermon, brother. You gotta pray for me. My friend Gilbert, long, 
rap sheet, many convictions, drug user, drug dealer. And for years, I started calling him a billboard for God, not even thinking about John chapter 9. But that God so radically changed his life when he redeemed him that he is now, am I right? Am I making this up? He is a billboard for the power of God. What do we do with our pain? What do we do with our suffering? What do we do with our hurt? What do we do with those things we don't want? Come on. Complain. Murmur. Grumble. I do it. And God is inviting us to see the world through his eyes. That that might be the very thing he wants to use to make his glory known to others. I'm not saying, oh, stiff up a lip and all that, Simon. I'm not saying that. I'm not talking about stoicism. But I'm talking about how we perceive the problems and difficulties that we have in our lives and how we put our faith in Jesus and rely in him to be the one to fix it. You tracking? Pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? We must work, this verse four, we must work the works of him who sent me. I do have to look at the clock. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground. And by the way, it's an interesting juxtaposition there, isn't it? As long as day is here, because night is coming, what happens in the daytime? Light. What happens at night? Dark, and Jesus is saying, I'm coming to penetrate that darkness. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Nancy turned me on to this guy just the other day, a um, Bible teacher, really focused on a lot of the Old Testament stuff. And he was going into some detail around why that pool of Siloam as opposed to the pool of Bethesda where the other man was who Ross preached about in in John chapter 5. And and I, I sort of resolved to say that's very interesting stuff and I'd love to learn, frankly, a lot more about it. But that's not the point. What is the point? Dialogue. What is the point? What is Jesus doing? What is Jesus doing? Obedience? In what way, Cameron? Yeah, there's something pretty remarkable about that. How did the man in John chapter 5 react when, when Jesus said he would, uh, what are you doing here? He's like, well, I'm trying to get into the pool and everything. Or, but what does this guy do? Or he's like something, maybe he knows where he's going. Let me ask you this. Who here has been in middle school? Renat, little man, middle school is renowned for people who are kind, considerate, never pointing out the faults of others. Am I right? Am I close? I'm close? Okay, I'm close. I don't even think I'm that close. I give you the middle school thing because what happens? What, you, what happens when we see somebody who is weak? We know people who do this, right? They pounce on weakness. 
you're the man, you're the blind man. Some total stranger comes and spits on mud or spits on dirt, makes mud and rubs it on your eyes. How do you react to that? Probably not so good, right? And Jesus doesn't come in and say, hey, I am God, watch what I'm gonna do. No, he just does it casually as if it's nothing. And yet, as Cameron points out, this man believed and he got up and did it. And he has sight. And the rest of this passage or the majority of the rest of this passage is almost like a trial scene where the folks who were responsible for articulating what the law is start rolling people in. I want to hear the evidence. I want to hear the evidence. I want to hear the evidence. And the witnesses can't even agree, right? Hey, it's the man born blind. We've seen him begging for years. Uh, I don't think that's him. I think it's his doppelganger, right? Jesus does a miracle and people can't see Get that? People can't see it when it's been done right in front of their eyes. They have seen the radical transformation and yet they cannot see what has happened. The evidence is right there. Anybody familiar with the the old Christian rock band, Third Day? Remember that? They had this great song. Um, uh, I wish I could sing. It's got this great line. How much evidence do you need to believe? And the point of that song, and part of the point of what is here, is that Jesus will give evidence. What is that famous line that, that uh, it's not that people have examined the evidence and found it wanting, it's they have exa- started to look at the evidence, found it difficult, and didn't go any further. You need to get to know your scriptures so you can get to know your God and see who Jesus is and what he does so that when he moves, you can see it and how do you, should you react to it? When God moves, how do we react? How should we react? Immediately doing what? How about with a, well, no, when he does something awesome, how about with a thank you? How about with a praise? We, we just don't do that very much. God does miracles in our lives. I'm persuaded. God does miracles in our lives all the time and we forget them. Do you know Corin and Katrina Anschutz? They were on vacation earlier in the week and they were driving. They got a camper they're pulling behind them and the camper tire blows on the interstate, 70 mile, 75 mile per hour. And so if you drive in Texas, you really know that speed limit's like 90 with virtually no median and they're there trying to pull a camper that has no tire on it and they've got to get it fixed. They finally get it fixed, help arrives, they're on their way, guess what happens in the next middle of nowhere, Texas? Same thing, the other tire blows. And Corwin comes to, this is on a Wednesday, as they're driving back to North Texas, Corwin comes to Bible study, and Chris, you know exactly where I'm going, Corwin comes to Bible study, and he starts sharing how God has moved in this tragedy, in this difficulty. And he starts to see that the things in it are God at work. Am I right? Some of the things that were in it. The second time the tire, well, first, he didn't lose his cool. Hey, dads, anybody got a problem out there with keeping your cool? Oh, nobody else does? Okay. 
He doesn't lose his cool. God gives him calm during this. When the second tire blows and they're two hours from somebody being able to come to help them, he calls the nearest Firestone station and he arrives at the Firestone station 45 minutes after they're closed, but folks stuck around. Remember when you were an hourly employee? How excited were you to stick around at 9.30 at night? And God did a whole host of these other things. And, and, and Corwin comes in to tell us this at our Thursday night men's, men's study. And all of a sudden, like, we just start praising and praising. And Chris Wyatt goes, man, you guys know I had that business trip and I got that thing and I was hurting, but it didn't hurt. It was awesome. And then, I start, and then God did this and then God did that. And we start to praise together. And instead of forgetting like we are apt to do, we remember and we do it together. Psalm 34, we worship together. We praise him together. And that builds our faith. Do you see that? Otherwise, God gives this guy sight and he goes and gets a job in another town and nobody knows. Ah, it's amazing, but the people don't believe it. So he's at the trial. It was a Sabbath day, verse 14. It was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees asked him again how he had received his sight and he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. What is that about? Cameron, you have all the other answers. I'm looking at you. Anybody else other than the ringer over here? Who has? What is that about? What is this concept of the Sabbath? Where does this come from? Ten Commandments. Thank you, Les. Where can we find those Ten Commandments, Les? In the Bible, that's awesome. Which part? And Deuteronomy chapter 5. And it does say, honor the Sabbath to keep it holy. Honor the Sabbath to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath. It's to honor God and to keep Him holy. And that sounds pretty simple, doesn't it? But then how do you do it? How do you remember God on the Sabbath? How do you keep it holy? Is it any wonder then, I'm a lawyer, right? Is it any wonder that we gotta get more rules around what it means to honor the Sabbath? Can't drag a stick, that's plowing. Can't walk too far, can't, uh, uh, what are some of the other things? Um, uh, It's escaping me. Anybody know some of the other examples? Was that Ellen? Can't spend money. I don't know about. I don't know about that. Uh, I hope. By the way, I hope that one's true for a host of reasons. Can't create a spark. Why, Les? It's work. It's work. Now, interestingly, in John chapter seven, listen to what Jesus says. He's already healed a couple people on the Sabbath, and my goodness, Jesus is awesome on the wedge issues. He's healed a couple of people on the Sabbath. We'll get, I'll read them a little bit in a second, but, but listen to what he says in John chapter seven uh, when, they're acu- when, when some of the religious leaders are accusing him. He's being uh, accused that he has a demon. Chapter seven, verse 21 of John, Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, 
Are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? It's a good question, isn't it? What is Jesus saying? What's happening here? I know you want to say something. Hey, Bill. What's Jesus doing here? I'm not sure I'm going to give the answer you want. Um, for me, the most important part of this, I mean, I'll be blended this, is in the early part, in the original Greek, it matters. There's no punctuation, right? There's no. And it matters where you put the period and the comma there, right? And for me, what Jesus said from the beginning and what's the theme throughout this is that bad things happen and God's not doing Bad things happen in what? Bad things happen and God's not the one doing it. Mm. If you put the period in the right place in there, what Jesus is saying is, look, this man was born blind. Things just happen. Mm. Things just happen. But then he doesn't stop there. He says, but you've got to go do. You've got to respond to this happening. That's where he sends the charge. But what's the Sabbath piece? What's the Sabbath piece? What, what, what is happening here? What, what have they done with the law? What have they elevated in the law? What becomes the important part of the Sabbath? Got to follow the rule, follow the rule, follow the rule. What are the two great commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Did Jesus make those up? Where did those come from, Julie? The Old Testament, Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. Somewhere in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6 somewhere, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. And so somehow what these religious leaders had done is they had elevated the concept of the technicality over the point, which is to love God and to love others. And what do you think it was that Jesus was doing in displaying the goodness and work of God into that blind man? He was loving, yeah, both. He was loving God, the Father, and he's loving this man. And yet he's condemned for it. And the penalty, by the way, for violating the Sabbath is death, according to the Old Testament. And so you can see these religious leaders have missed the point. They elevate the technicality over the true. The true is that we are to love one another. The true is not that we are to make these specific ritualistic observances. We fall into that same trap, don't we? So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight, and he said to them, I put, he put mud on, on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such things, do such signs? And there was a division among them. It's kind of awesome, right? By the way, Jesus brings division. More about that in another Sunday. Verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind. They just questioned the evidence. They've got all the people who are willing to say it. They've got the man himself who's willing to say it. But now they bring in the folks who are the parents. Verse 19, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see his parents answered, we know that this is our son, that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, 
nor do we know who opened his eyes. And I want you to just pay particular attention to these next few words. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. How do you feel about mom and dad in that? Mm. Through the boy to the wolves? Anybody else? How do you feel about mom and dad right there? What's happening with them? Throwing him under the bus. Why? Why are they throwing him under the bus? They're afraid. And what are they afraid of? Getting kicked out of the synagogue. What has just happened with them? Who has a parent? Or who here is a parent? All right. Put your hand down if your kid has been through something and you didn't just go crazy in pain about it. And what just happened to their son? Not in the history of the world had it ever been said that a man born blind had received his sight. And yet this man received his sight. What did these parents do? What else? more than it does today in the minds of most of us. Let me ask you this question. Say it, Tony. They saw the evidence in what? Yeah. Sorry, that was David, not Tony. They were unwilling to make a sacrifice for the one who had saved their son. It's a big sacrifice. but they just experienced a miracle. They were unwilling to make a sacrifice. Let me ask you, what sacrifice, if you name the name of Jesus as your Lord and Savior, what sacrifice are you unwilling to make? If you name the name of Jesus, what sacrifice are you making? A couple hours of sleep on a Sunday morning? So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. This man doesn't know a lot. But he knows what his condition was before he met Jesus, and he knows what his condition was immediately after he met Jesus. And that makes all the difference. And he's not hung up on a Sabbath. He's not hung up on leadership. He's not hung up on the consequences of getting thrown out of the synagogue. He knows one thing. This is who I was. Then I met Jesus. 
this is who I am. This is how he saved me. You know, so many of us, we don't, I, I was meeting with somebody recently and, and uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, yesterday morning, and he was telling me, um, oh, Dan, you know, I just, I don't, I don't know where all the scripture is. I don't know the scripture well. I, I you know, I, I can't teach it. I just, you know, I can't tell you chapter and verse. I said, Brian, what do you know? <laughs> what do you know? You know you were an alcoholic, hell-bound, getting in trouble with the law because of drink. And then Jesus opened your eyes. What more is there to know? Truly. Okay, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. This blind man has this encounter and all he, he can say one thing that that affliction is gone and Jesus gets all the credit for it. That's our testimony. That's our call. That's what we are to share. If nothing else, they overcame the, what, what does it say, Bob? They overcame the, the evil one by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Yes, and love not their lives even unto death. I didn't know that, but. I knew that this, he'd made this man see. If you have a testimony of what God has done, don't forget it. Remember it. Rely on it. Look back on it. Tell others. Share with them that God broke in to a materialistic, naturalistic world where people don't believe in the supernatural. And we wonder then why God doesn't move more. I want to jump just out of the interest of time all the way down. The, the, the religious leaders just are not going to accept what happened. In their pride, they will not allow someone to teach them even though that them, that person had this amazing encounter that was transformational. But I want to jump down to verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you, this is Jesus talking, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now do you notice, this, and the man says, he answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Now if I said to you, the Son of Man, do you believe in the Son of Man? My guess is that most of us would say, I don't even know what that means. What are you talking about? Did this man say that? No, he knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. Do you? Do you know what Jesus is talking about? This is a reference to the Old Testament, Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, when Daniel has this amazing vision of all of these beasts coming. And then in Daniel chapter 7, this is what happens. This is, Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, Daniel has this vision. He says, as I looked, thrones were placed in the ancient of days, which is a reference to God the Father. And the ancient of days took his seat his clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were opened. 
I looked then because of the sound of the great words at the horn, that's one of the beasts, or from one of the beasts, was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And then Daniel goes on to say this, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And to him was given, oh, oh, and and he came to the ancient of days, God the Father, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed." When Jesus asks this man, does he believe in the Son of Man? Jesus is asking him, do you believe in the one the prophet Daniel foretold, saw in a vision and foretold? The one to whom God would give dominion, glory, all peoples, nations, languages would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. In other words, that this one like a son of man would be both man, be like a man, be man and God. And Jesus could not be more clear when the man says, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, just like he said to the the woman at the Samaritan well who was so broken, he was so clear with her, he is that clear with this blind man, who is, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. The blind man said, Lord, I believe. And if it stopped there, it would be very Western. Lord, I got it up here. I got it clear now. I read that book, for that old book, and I saw those words, and now I get it. But that's not where it stops. Listen to what it says. Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And what does Jesus do? Does Jesus say, like Peter would in the book of Acts, no, 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 get up. Do not try to worship me. I'm a man just like you. Is that what Jesus does? No. Jesus receives his worship. It says, Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Jesus is saying that he is the son of man. Jesus is saying that he is the eternal one foretold from generations past to whom God the Father would give kingdoms, dominion, glory, and the people of all languages would serve him. Sound familiar? And that he would have an eternal and everlasting rule. He is God. He's not just the Savior. Do you get that? He's not just the sacrifice. He's God himself. Come from heaven. And over and over again in this book, the writer John is trying to get us to see that. That's why the opening words, in the beginning was the Word. What? And the Word was with God? And what? The Word was God. Do we believe that? Do we believe that Jesus is God? If you do, understand this. Imagine the love God has for you. Just imagine the love God has for you. 
what Jesus would do for us. In the midst of our pain, in the midst of our blindness, in the midst of our trouble. But understand this, and with this I'll wrap up. He came for judgment. There's a reason it said earlier that there was division among the Pharisees. Because he is the great wedge of history. He is the great wedge of all of mankind. We either believe that he is the son of man foretold by the prophets, that he is God sent from heaven, sent to save a sinful people, or we don't. That's it. And before we get too sure that we know the answer to that question, Jesus warns us. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt, but now that you see we see your guilt remains. Get it straight. Get it straight. Would you pray with me, please? God Almighty, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we are so blind apart from you, so broken apart from you. God, forgive us of our unbelief. Forgive us that when the evidence lays right before us, we fog up, we look the other way, we disregard it, we forget it. Jesus, you are God, Almighty, as the prophet Isaiah said, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus, thank you for breaking in. And we ask you by your Spirit, break in again to each of our hearts that we might worship you. Not just this intellectual ascent, but truly worship you, Jesus for your glory, for your delight, that all might see that you are not just some teacher who died a long time ago, but you are God and everlasting. We pray this in your awesome name. Amen.